Take your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, we're continuing our series called Growing in Faith. Growing in Faith. I don't know if you've noticed this, but growth doesn't happen accidentally. It doesn't happen unintentionally. Uh, If you want to advance in your career or grow in your career, it doesn't just happen because you keep showing up for work. There's, There's actually investment and effort and discipline and time that you have to put in. If you want to go run a half marathon or you want to um, learn more about how to care for your vehicle, those things all take intention and effort. And there's no mystery either in growing in our faith. God has given us his word. He's given us means to, to grow in our faith. It doesn't just happen magically. I don't know if you ever sat down with somebody who's maybe um, in, their, in the latter stages of their life and you're like, man, that, I can just tell from sitting with this person that they walk with Jesus. Have you ever done that? No. Have you ever? <laughs> no. That's all right. You're young. It's good. Uh, if you've ever done that, that's not magical. That, that's actually almost always just the product of faithfulness day in and day out over a number of years. And it's faithfulness in some of the things we've been talking about. About spending time in God's word, under the preaching of God's word like this morning. It's time around God's people. It's time as a family. Danny talked a couple weeks ago about family worship and what that looks like. It's time in prayer. But there's actually a, a step of faith that, God has, that God's word talks about regularly, but that we don't engage in very often, I don't think, as a society or as individuals. And it's what I want to talk about this morning. And um, it's funny in God's timing when this came together. But, but let's read Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. You say, yeah, Matt, it looks like you fast a lot. I know. It's not funny. And people came. It is funny. And said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. Now, Jesus could have said a lot of things at this point, couldn't he? He could have said something like, fasting was just for before I came. He could have said, this is just something that the Pharisees make a big deal about. It's actually not important. But look at what he says. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Do people fast at a wedding? Obvious answer, no. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come. When the bridegroom is taken away from them, Jesus is the bridegroom, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine in old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. We're not going to get too much into that section. Um, there's a lot of opinions and ideas about that. But, but the principle that comes out of here is that Jesus says, right now my disciples aren't fasting because I'm here. And there's, you know, we know his earthly ministry was three years long. There was intense things that were going on. And at this moment they are not, but they will. He essentially says, this, this is something that 
my followers have done, and this is something they will do. So let's talk about fasting. All right, this is kind of what it looks like. If you want a picture idea of fasting. But I want to say this. Uh, I, I read this in one of the books as I was reading this week, and I thought it was powerful. Christians in the, this is, this is pointed, uh, so don't, don't freak out. Christians in a gluttonous, denialist, self-indulgent society, I think we can all agree, our society is, that fits. By the way, we're not the first society like this. There have been many, many. May struggle to accept and to begin the practice of fasting. Few disciplines go so radically against the flesh and the mainstream culture as this one. Let's say it's true. Say that's true. A few thoughts on fasting this morning. Fasting, point number one, it's not weird. Okay, it feels weird, especially in our culture. Skipping a meal or meals feels what will happen to the world. Unless, right, some of us get working so much that we realize at three o'clock in the afternoon that we didn't eat lunch at noon. Anybody have that happen at work ever? Yeah. But it's not weird. And, and I, I just want us to work through this real fast. Even though fasting can be the most feared and misunderstood spiritual discipline, let's look at some examples of fasting. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 16. This idea of taking time to fast is throughout our Bibles. We may, um, for our own consciences, kind of ignore it, but it's throughout our Bibles. Example, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 16 through 23. This is in David's life. David had sinned. Um, he'd been immoral and ultimately um, had the wife or the husband of the, person, the woman he'd been immoral with killed. And God had said, these are going to be the consequences of your sin. One of them was that the child that was conceived was going to die. And so David is distraught as, as the time comes for the child to be born because he knows that those consequences are coming to bear. And verse 16 says this, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. So he was, in, in essence, it seems, begging God for the child's life, and he wasn't eating. He was fasting. On the seventh day, the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him that the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this thing you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child is dead, you arose and ate food. David said, while the child was alive, I did fast and weep. For I said, who knows whether the Lord might be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Why did David fast? He was begging God to spare his child. 
He was in a situation of desperate need. And, and he, he said, I'm going to abstain from food and I'm going to beg God to save this child. Could God have saved David's child? He could have. He, he could have shown mercy and saved the child. God chose not to, but there's a moment where David fasted and prayed. Go to 2 Chronicles 20. Verses 3 and 4. Here's a time of, of great danger, similar to the time that Danny preached on this morning. Jehoshaphat is the king and uniting the people for battle. But they're outnumbered. Verse 2 says, Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom and from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in a place with a, a very long name, but also called En Gedi. Verse 3, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So the whole country. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So here's a time of great need, of fear, of going into battle. And, and, and the king says, let's all do this together. And they fast as a nation. Do you know there have actually been uh, national fasts declared for the United States three times? Abraham Lincoln actually called for a national fast during the Civil War on three separate occasions. But three times in our history, the president of our country has said, as a nation, we should fast and pray. This was commonly practiced by God's people. It's actually not limited to Christianity. There are other religions that fast. But it's part of what God's people did before the time of Jesus. I want to skip over Matthew 6, because I want to go back there in a sec. But let's go to Acts chapter 13. We already read Mark 2 about what Jesus said about fasting, that his disciples would fast. But it's throughout the book of Acts that they actually did. Acts chapter 13. The church was about to launch into missions endeavor around the world. And this is what the early church does. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, one who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So here's the early church at a, a pivotal time in its life, and they're worshiping, and part of that is fasting. And then the Holy Spirit says, I want to send Saul and Barnabas, and the church continues to pray and fast and sends them off to do mission work. So it was part of the life of the early church. There's other occasions in Acts, but there's just one. But I want you to go back to Matthew chapter 6. Because there's, there's three interesting um, disciplines or practices that Jesus teaches about here in Matthew 6. And I, just, I just want you to see the parallel of what Jesus says about these three things. In chapter 6, verse 2, he starts talking about giving. And he says it this way. Jesus says, Thus, when you give to the needy, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, 
verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So Jesus is instructing on giving, but assuming that his followers will what? Give. That, that part of what it means to follow Jesus is to give. And I think if I was to ask around the room, you would go, yes, that's, I understand that. And Jesus says, don't do it to impress people. He says, do it privately. Don't even make a big deal out of it to yourself. So this is how you should give. Then we get to prayer, verse five. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to get attention when they pray, verse six. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So he says, here's how you should um, approach prayer, right? And then we get into the Lord's prayer. And those are, those are things that we have probably studied and talked about and modeled, right? For our children, my, my son is just starting to verbalize prayer. It's, 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 uh, it's adorable and fascinating <laughs> and what he hears and how he prays. And so now we pray around uh, the table before dinner and either Colleen or I praise, and then Tim goes, I'll pray. Dear God. And, and then Colleen says something, and then he repeats it. Hey, Jesus, amen. Right? He's learning to pray. Now, now is he regenerate? Is he a believer? Has he, has he come to saving faith? No, but he's learning this practice. I think most of us will go, that's a good thing. Now, we don't want him to learn empty prayer, we don't want him to learn formulaic prayer. We don't want him to learn prayer to impress people, but we do want him to learn to pray. And we do want him to learn to give. And I think we would all agree those are things we want to learn and develop. Okay. Verse 16. So Jesus has just finished teaching about giving and about prayer. And by the way, these are the things Jesus selected to, to teach about in the sermon. Verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So just like they tried to impress people with their uh, giving and just like they tried to impress people with their praying, they tried to impress people by looking distraught when they fasted. Truly I say unto you, they have their reward. Verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Take a shower. Right? Don't look distraught. Don't look emaciated. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Look at the end of verse 17. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And I don't know how this has happened, and maybe it's because of the quote I read earlier, but I grew up in a what I would call a faithful church that preached the Bible, that taught me what it meant to follow Jesus, and I knew virtually nothing about fasting and almost never saw it modeled. And I can tell you there was never a day in the Parker household that was a day of prayer and fasting. And I don't know how we got there, but somehow... And this is kind of one of those things like serving. You'll hear me talk about giving. I'm not shy about it. Because I believe it's a way that we honor God. And if we wipe it under the rug and say it's no big deal, then we're treating it differently than God treats it. 
But somehow, we feel very comfortable explaining and talking about giving, right? And we'll even give our kids a quarter and say, here, I know that either you earned this through your allowance or maybe you didn't earn it at all, but I want to teach you to give. And we'll talk about prayer and we'll teach about prayer and we'll explain about prayer. And somehow we miss third base. And I don't know why or how that is. But we're kind of like, this is what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. And we just like jump from what he said about prayer to laying up treasure in heaven. Or at least we do practically. Because I'm not going to take a show of hands around the room. But if I said, hey, how many of you have a regular practice of fasting? It'd probably be pretty sparse. How many of you are teaching your children? Now, now I have a two-year-old, and I get the fact that teaching a two-year-old to fast is probably a very bad idea. (laughs) But some of you have elementary students and teenagers and spouses. This is actually something that ought to be a part of our lives. And when I hear Jesus say, and when you give, and when you pray, and when you fast, and then I hear Jesus say, yeah, my disciples aren't doing this right now, but they will. And when I look at the example of the early church, and when I watch church history, and by the way, you can take any writer on the Christian church, and virtually all the main historians who wrote about what the church did will talk about fasting, The reformers will talk about fasting. The church in America in the 1700s, 1800s will talk about fasting. And then it will get very quiet. We're we're at a formative and critical time in the life of Gospel Hope Church. And we have some in God's plan, some decisions and things in front of us that I don't think any of us thought we were going to have in front of us in December of 2018. Like, okay, we're going to come together at Easter and we're going to work through this process and relaunch. And, and do you know, we have a guy flying in this Thursday to help us take a preliminary look at this property and work on a master plan. Now, we're not going to have a master plan next Sunday. But it's an initial conversation. And do you know how many of us as pastors thought we were having this initial conversation in November of 2018? Zero. We have missionaries that we currently support and love. And we have church plants that we're praying about. And we have people getting to know each other. We're at crucial periods in the formative life of this church. Doesn't it seem... That, that we ought to be learning together to fast and pray. It's not complicated. You don't have to make it complicated. Right, what is praying? Tell me what praying is at its most basic. Talking to God. Tell me what giving is. <laughs> giving to God, helping people in need. You say, well, spell that out for me. What exactly does God want me to do? Does he want me to give the guy that I pass money? Does he want me to take him to lunch? Does he want me to walk by? Does he give? 
Well, does the New Testament say I need 10% in the offering or 15 or two, or do I just get to give what I want or what's left over? Give. Well, fasting, is it twice a week? Is it three meals? Is it no meals? Do I get to drink water? Do I have to go no water? Do I... Fasting. It's voluntarily skipping a meal or two or three or a day or two or three for a spiritual purpose. It's interesting. Uh, intermittent fasting has actually kind of come back into vogue in the health community. Okay, that's not biblical fasting. That's just diet. But it is interesting that the medical community is now actually saying, this is actually healthy for you. Okay, when God intended fasting, he wasn't trying to make you sick or harm you. But this is not biblical fasting. This is, these are some of the medical benefits of fasting. There are different types of fasting. There's what we would call a normal fast, which means you don't eat solid food. We would never advise you to fast without water. You need water, right? We know from, from medicine that uh, three days without water and you're in real big trouble. But normal fasting is fasting without food and drinking water. Some people drink juice when they fast because that helps them have a little bit of nutrients. But trust me, if you do a juice fast, you will feel it. Juice is yummy. It is not solid food. That's a, a basic type of fast. There's a partial fast where you would limit your diet like Daniel did in Daniel 1, where they limited to vegetables and water. There's what we would call an absolute fast. And these did happen in the Bible with no food or water. Again, if you're going to do that, do it for a very brief period of time. Ezra 10 and Esther, Esther 4 talk about those kind of fasts. And then there are some examples of what we would call a supernatural fast. How long do these supernatural fasts usually last? 40 days, right? We have an example with Moses. We're not aware of Moses eating or drinking anything while he's on the mountain with God. Uh, it's possible that Elijah's fast was 40 days and supernatural. Jesus fasted for 40 days. There are different kinds of fasting. Why would a person fast? Here are just some reasons. There are a bunch of them. But the idea is that we are learning ourselves that our spiritual reality and our spiritual needs are greater than our physical needs. It's intensifying our understanding and our relationship with God. One person, I think, has said it well, that, that it's designed around, uh, that fasting tends to be designed around, uh, what's the word I want? Communion with God and dependence on God. Communion and dependence. I think those are two great. And by the way, there, there's no surprise there. That's why it's often connected with prayer. What is prayer an expression of? A desire to know and commune with God and our dependence on God. So often fasting is is paired with prayer. If you've ever fasted for the purpose of praying, you know that every time your stomach growls, it reminds you. That, that as you deal with that, that physical deprivation, you, you, are, you are sensing, I should be praying, or this thing that I'm praying about is urgent and important. You see fasting in times of suffering and grief. This is very natural, isn't it? That I... I've lost someone I care about or I'm suffering through something. And so it's just, it's almost natural to say, I'm, I don't even care about food right now. I just need to spend time with God. 
I'm so broken up about something. I know some of you have family members, like I do, who need Jesus. It's a natural thing to say, you know what, I just need to pray for them, and this is of utmost urgency. In times of repentance, we see fasting in the Bible. In times of praying for others, for strength against evil. You know, I had a misconception even before I started this study, which was that when Jesus was alone in the wilderness, on top of what he was dealing with with the temptation of Satan, he was also not eating, so it was like optimally hard. Do you know that that's not true? Why was Jesus fasting in the wilderness? For strength in the battle against evil. He, he was actually more equipped to battle with Satan and to fight temptation because he was fasting and praying. It, it actually, gave, remember what Jesus said to the disciples when they couldn't cast out a demon? This kind of stuff only happens with fasting and prayer. If you want real strength against evil, this is a tool. In times of danger, we read uh, from Second Chronicles about that. In times of major decision where you need God's guidance, it will, be, it will be appropriate for our young people as they get towards the end of high school and try to seek God's will about college to, to learn to fast and pray. It would be appropriate for us as we try to, try to discern what God wants us to do as far as the future on the property and, and teams. It would be appropriate for us to engage in times of fasting and prayer. This is an interesting one. In order to give to others. Isaiah 58 teaches this. That, that God just doesn't want fasting. He actually encourages us to fast in order to help care for the needs of others. So you say, I don't have anything that I could give in a benevolence offering. So we have an offering that we take during communion to help meet the needs of others. And you just say, you know what? If you line up my family's budget, it is right there to the penny. And we just don't have any resources that we could actually give to someone in need. If you fasted for a day or two, you might have $10 or $20 that you would normally spend on food to give to help someone else in need. Wouldn't that be a fascinating thing for our children to learn? You know what, actually, we, we fast two days a month because it provides us with a little extra resources to help somebody else. You say, okay, Matt, now, now we're extreme. All right. As an act of humility, recognizing how much we're dependent on God. That, that we really actually do believe that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Fasting. Practice it wisely. We read Mark chapter 2 where Jesus said, my disciples don't fast right now. Okay? If you want to learn to fast, um, probably Christmas week is the wrong week. Right? John has some uh, family coming in soon, right? Over, over Christmas, right? Your daughter, after Christmas, your daughter and... That's probably not the best week for John to go, hey guys, bad news. I've, I've devoted this week to fasting and prayer. <laughs> you guys can figure it out, but uh, this is just, practice it wisely. Some tips for beginners. Start small. Sometimes we do this, don't we? We're like, I'm serious about this, so I'm going to start with a week. Don't start with a week. I can tell you honestly, because this is something that I'm just learning to do, 
Uh, I am by no means a fourth degree black belt in fasting. I'm like a no belt, like a, my, maybe my green belt I'll get at some point. Uh, we haven't even done it as a family. Although you see throughout scripture, there's all different ways to fast. But we should. It's something that we should learn. Start small. I can tell you candidly that I have not made it through a day. I have signed up for days. We did this at our school this summer, and I learned a lot about fasting. I have not made it through a day. I've done breakfast and lunch, and my will has failed. <laughs> failed. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm learning. Right? Start small. Pick a meal every week that you're, that you're going to fast and do something of spiritual importance. You're going to pray. You're going to use that time to spend in God's word. You are going to write an encouraging letter. You're, you're, you're abstaining from food for a higher purpose. Plan what you'll do instead of eating. This is, again, the purpose point. If you don't, what will you do? You will suffer and probably eat. Right? Plan what you're going to do. Consider how it will affect others. Right? Love others in your fasting. Like I said, don't fast when your family comes to visit. Try different kinds of fasting. The, the most specific Bible idea about fasting always involves food. But, but that definition can actually be expanded to anything you normally consume. So what are some things that you've heard that people fast from? that Christians or others you know might fast from, besides food? Yeah, entertainment of some sort. The internet. You feel that? I mean, I will. Some of you will be like, no big deal, but I feel that. Social media. People, there are different things that you could fast from. Um, also, if you have some sort of medical condition, right, maybe you have diabetes and you have to manage your, your sugar levels, then maybe you should try a different kind of fasting but there are options there. So you can fast from something other than food. There's some good resources on fasting. I actually just stumbled across this book all the way to the right during this study, and I'm, I'm excited to read it. Um, but this is a book that I've used on a variety of topics called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. It will help you. Uh, John Piper's written a book called The Hunger for God. This is actually, this book by Arthur, Arthur Wallace is from, I think, the 60s. Um, as he noticed this trend of fasting kind of disappearing from the Christian consciousness, he wrote a book that kind of talked about fasting throughout the Bible, has a biblical index in it, um, so I'm ex actually excited to work through that one. And then I love this quote, there's actually an article on Desiring God called uh, Fasting for Beginners, so it might be worth a search if you want it, but it starts with this, chances are you are among the massive majority of Christians who rarely or never fast. It's not because we haven't read our Bibles or sat under faithful preaching or heard about the power of fasting, or even that we genuinely don't want to do it, we just never actually get around to putting down the fork. So, just an encouragement um, to start or develop a practice that really genuinely says, my food is actually not as important as other things. And as you sit, and as you pray, and as you feel that hunger, it will help you. It will intensify your prayer. It will remind you of what really matters. It will draw your focus to things other than what's the next thing I put in my belly. And I really would encourage you parents. This is something you ought to learn and teach to your children. 
This is something you should participate in as a family. And I say that to my family. Something that Colleen and I ought to do together. Tim is probably not ready for it yet. But he could be soon. He could be in a few years. And as Gospel Hope Church, Jesus said, and when you give, and when you pray, and when you fast, words to remember. Lord, thank you for um, touching on a topic that uh, definitely hits our stomachs. But it also reminds us that this life is not all there is, that physical food is not all there is, that it's not just about consumption or what I can enjoy, but actually you want us to hunger for you and to hunger for your word and to hunger for our own growth and to hunger for the salvation of those we love and the growth of those we love? Or would you bring us to a place where we're actually before your throne more often? We're in your word more intensely. And would you use this tool in that way in our hearts and lives? Would help us not to make it about ourselves or about a cleanse or about a diet or even about being seen by other people to try to impress them with something like fasting we know how prone our hearts are to those things. But would you make us a place that practices this as a means of your grace? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.